Uh, welcome to Element. Uh, if you are new, there are Bibles in the back. Funny thing, last service there was one. And I thought, there's bu- bull in the back because there's just one. But there's Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Some of them have been used, some gently, some not so gently, but you can use one back there. Uh, there are sermon notes on all the community tables around the room, except for that one is out. So you can come up to the front and not feel awkward at all and grab one. Or if you have a smartphone, uh, you can download an app called Uversion. And you go to a thing called Live, and Live will actually bring up Element and buy your smartphone's GPS and your phone, and we'll actually bring up sermon notes and verses that we go over this morning. Yay for us. Okay, so we've been trying to do some more guy activities, so we're doing this thing called Mo, like, you know, Three Stooges, Mo, but it's Men of Element, and in our inner Men of... Okay, yay, all right, so... <laughs> So uh, our, our first Mo event was, was last month, and it, we went and did a shotgun Saturday. Took all the dudes out, and Mikey, it was so funny. He goes, he goes I couldn't believe how many guns people brought. It's like, like tables, there's like full of guns. He's like, like, it's like, if you don't know, Roy, Roy's like, oh, I'm bringing my gun. You know, so if you know who Roy is, he greets sometimes. You'll, yeah, it, it was great. So anyway, so this month we're doing a 4 by 4 thing. If you have a 4 by 4 and you like to go 4 by 4 uh, we're not going to go to like the dunes. We're going to do some trails up 166. And so if you have one, sign up back there and go with us. It's the second Saturday in February. So I think it's the 10th. Yeah? First service is so much better with dates. They're like, I mean, I can say like Wednesday 2014, February, and they'd be like, boom, and throw a day out. They're just amazing. So apparently you're not like Rain Man. So, 20, 12th. The 12th. Okay, so there you go. February 12th. Uh, sign up if you have a 4x4 four, four, just because it's like I'm a dude and I'm going to buy a 4x4 four four, I don't know what to do with it but hey I got a big truck well sign up as well we'll give you a short little safety course and show you how to drive your 4x4 four four and not killing yourself or any, or any you know furry woodland creatures unless you're so inclined <laughs> and if you just want to go for a ride in somebody's 4x4 four four, sign up as well we'll stick you in one because that's our men's event for February, 4 by 4 That sounds like so much fun. Uh, this Thursday night, we are doing our, our first one that we've ever really done. It's, we're doing an Element Church meeting. And if you consider Element home, feel free to come. to. You don't have to, but if you call it home, you can come to this meeting. We're going to talk about uh, Element's future. I'm going to introduce you to uh, the board of Element. Somebody was, they're like, Element has a church board? Yeah, we actually do. And so I'll introduce you to those guys and tell you, you know, what the current status is of the project that they're eventually going to tear all this down and build some stuff, so they're going to kick us out at some point. So I'll kind of let you know where we're at. If you have any questions, you can also come and ask those at that meeting as well. It's Thursday night at 7 o'clock. You're all welcome to come. We don't ever hide anything from you. And again, come to the baptisms. If you're not planning to come, why not? Come and bring cookies. All right, stand with me. Reading to God's Word. This is Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. It says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we as a people ask that we would understand that you are God and what you call us to as your people, so we live as you call us to live, offering hope and redemption and reconciliation to all of the world around us. Amen. Have a seat. So we started a new series. We're calling it The Missing Words. When we're done, we'll hit the book of Lamentations, and I know you're all just really excited about that. Then we will hit the Song of Solomon, where if you're not excited about it, you will be when we start it, because it's an exciting book, if you know what I mean. All right, uh, if, 
If you missed last week's introduction, the missing words are words that Jesus intentionally left unsaid to convey a deeper meaning. Uh, it's like you're supposed to be a student to look at what he said and then dig deeper so you do the hard work of figuring some of these things out. Like I could say certain things to you, like if the shoe fits, excellent. If you have a good job but you hate it, and I would say, well, a bird in the hand, exactly. The grass is greener. Yeah, you instinctively know because you're part of our culture, you can put the missing words in. Now, there are certain things in Scripture that if you were raised as in a first century Jewish home, you would automatically know uh, some of the things that Jesus was talking about. But we're 2,000 years removed from the historical setting, so sometimes it's good to get a deeper idea of what's going on. I'm here to help you to know how to do that. Now, if you have a Bible, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Anybody seen the movie Inception? You guys are so responsive this morning. It's amazing. Okay, if you haven't seen the movie Inception, you're going to be okay. But if you have, this will make a lot more sense to you. Uh, we're going to start at one level, and we're going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And then I'm going to bring you back out <laughs> of the dream. It'll, it'll be good. All right, so today I'm going to show you that God is, has been consistent through the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament God is not like some... Uh, junior high girl all hopped up on emotion and wants to kill everybody. And the New Testament God isn't like some hippie that hands out flowers. Same God, Old New Testament, all the way through. God has constantly shown that He wants to reconcile with humanity, to reconcile, to bring us together with Him. God has always been true and right and full of justice and mercy. And He wants you and I to also be the envoys, the first responders of that reconciliation. So 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the what? <laughs> the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the what? The message of reconciliation. This is how God operates. The plan from eternity past, bring His children home, wipe away what separates us from each us and each other and us and God, bringing us together. Reconciliation. That's my level one. Now level two, we're going to go a little bit deeper. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Now Matthew 18, it starts with the disciples trying to get Jesus to name one of them the greatest. Like if you ever have a conversation with Jesus and you're like, okay, Jesus, this is great. I'll call you Jesus. You call me the greatest. It, okay, whatever. You know, Peter and John, oh, I'm the greatest. So Jesus he grabs a little child in verse 4 and he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says you need to be like children. The child is held up as an ideal, not of innocence or purity of faith, but of humility and unconcern for social status. A child doesn't see the color of someone's skin. A child doesn't judge between ugly and beautiful. They have no concept of status or income. A child sees the world as God sees the world and the way that those in God's kingdom are supposed to also see the world. Everyone has worth. Everyone has value. Verse 5, Jesus then tells them, and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. When you don't see status, but beings created in the image of God, you can truly see like God. The one who welcomes a little child like this in my name is not welcoming necessarily literal children, but children as defined by the previous verse. Those who humble themselves to become like children, the children of God. This is humility, and humility brings true greatness. C.J. Mahaney wrote a book recently called Humility, True Greatness. You should read it. It's a great book because only in humility can we offer true forgiveness and true reconciliation. 
And then Jesus then talks about the severity of sin, how it should be avoided at all costs. Then verse 10, he says, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. Goes back to children. Then verse 12, And what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Reconciliation. See, we do not despise God's creation, His people, but we are to seek reconciliation because our God is a God concerned with each sheep in a flock, especially the ones who stray away. His concern for the one wandering sheep is so great that He cares more for that than that restoration than the 99 who do not stray. It's like God loves uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. He likes the, get back, get back to where you want to be. Okay, I was walking around all weekend going, Jojo was a man who thought... And my wife kept giving me funky looks all week because I was like singing the song. And whatever, okay. <laughs> Everything's falling flat this morning, but you're paying attention that this is good. So with a God like that, how then are we supposed to respond to all this? With forgiveness and reconciliation and grace, making things right between us and other people. And before you think I'm reading into this at all, in context, where he goes, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. That's important. But not like you and your ten friends and why you hate this person. The two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Reconciliation. He continues to come back to this theme. And Jesus is now actually talking about people who believe, those who believe and follow Christ. The envoys, the first responders, the ministers of reconciliation, those people, those who are supposed to be able to live together as God's children in gospel communities. You should all be in a small group to sign up in the back, just letting you know. And, and if you have people that, that they say, oh, I am going to follow God, and they, and they live in this community, but they're not following God, you have a right in a gospel community to walk up and point out their sin. And if they will not listen, Jesus goes on to say you treat them like you do a tax collector. What happens when the tax collector comes to your house? I'm not home. <laughs> ding, ding. I, I don't, ah, you kind of you run away from the guy. I'm, well, maybe that's just me. Okay, it's like that. And, and the Greek expression is literally, let him be to you like one who is lost. And what do you do with one who is lost? You seek reconciliation. You seek them out to love them. We are to live like children, seeing the world as God does. And then you get to the most misquoted verse in the entire Bible, verse 19. Jesus says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. You ever hear somebody pray, Dear God, there's two of us more gathered in this room, and therefore you are here with us. Anybody hear somebody say that? Right? It sucks to be the guy who's all alone going, Oh, dear God, I'm all alone, therefore you're not with me. I mean, right? No, in context, literally in this passage, the two or three people gathered are those who had a problem with each other. They're coming together and dealing with it, offering forgiveness and reconciliation. God is in that moment because that is the heart of God. Now, I know I'm moving really quickly through this, but we're getting somewhere because here are the missing words. Verse 21. Peter has a question. It's the same question that we all have when someone continues to wrong us. How many times do we forgive them? How many times? Then you just write them off. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Sounds so generous. Peter is also assuming that it's not his fault at all. He hasn't done anything to irritate, like all of us. Oh, it's, I don't know why they're mad at me. I never did anything. It's all their fault. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. This is 77s. 77 times. 
Now, let me just say this. Forgiveness and reconciliation is not an approval of sin. If someone continues to wrong and hurt you, you do not mix your life with that person. All right? People wonder, like Peter, if we forgive in this way, won't people take advantage of us and our generosity and our forgiveness? Forgiveness is simply letting go of what you hold in your heart against someone else when you are held captive. I actually had a lady come up to me after first service, and, and she said, what if somebody broke into my house and, and killed my child? And she said, and I go, wow, here's a deep question after first service. This is great. And she, and, and she goes, and I'm, and I'm standing at the judgment of God, and he forgives me. And then this guy goes for repentance, and, and God forgives him. She goes, is, is, is that right? And I said, first off, you have to trust God in this because it, it is God who is the one who only knows how to do proportional justice. And I'm not saying that guy is going to come to belief or not, but you have to let go of it because you are not God and you will never be truly free until you lay it all into his hands. And so you must do that because our lives are not supposed to be about us. They are to be about him. Peter sums us up a lot in this, though, because when we sin, we want to be forgiven. And if we aren't, we get mad and think people are being cruel. But when, when we sin against other people, you know, we, we feel like, that. oh, you've got to forgive me. But when other people sin against us, we feel very vindicated in holding a grudge and not forgiving. Jesus says, you're not. You must forgive and offer reconciliation. And part of our problem is that we know that we are to be like God. But we really don't like that because we don't trust God to do it his own way. We don't trust that if we really live for God, he's going to really take care of us and other people. And so Jesus leaves some missing words so Peter would understand what happens when you don't forgive, when you don't offer reconciliation, when you don't stop harboring animosity in your heart. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So in my inception analogy, we're going to level three now. Turn to Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four. That's where this comes from. Early in the book of Genesis, you meet a guy named Lemek. Genesis, first book in the Bible. Can't miss it. It's real easy. Unless you stole Gideon in the Bible from the from the hotel, then you don't have an Old Testament, so you're like, oh, what do I do? Okay. <laughs> Genesis chapter 4. I'm, I'm just making commentary until you can actually get there. Genesis chapter 4, verse 19. Lemek married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Now, this is the first recorded instance of polygamy in the Bible. I like to say that he hasn't covered A to Z, but nobody ever gets it, so whatever. <laughs> Unless I point it out. Lemek married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. This is ripe with allegory for our present day and lack of trust in who we are, who God calls us to be. For Lemmick, he takes these two women, and this helps him not to have to trust in God, but to simply trust in himself. Many of us find other things to do this as well. Now, what I mean is this. Ada, her name means adorned one. Literally, her name translates as ornament. You go down, you get a Christmas tree. You're like, oh, that's a beautiful ornament. I'll put that on the front. Everybody will see it. It'll be wonderful. Everybody comes in. They go, ooh, how pretty. That's literally what her name means. She is literally a trophy wife. She shines brightly, causes everybody to look at her and smile. Ada knows she's pretty. Lemmick knows she's pretty. That's why he marries her. Now, Zillah. Zillah means shadow, like the shadow knows. It's, that's, what it, that's what it means. Not in the sense of darkness, but more along the lines of seductress. She's mysterious. She tempts from the shadows. She knows how to use her sexuality as a charm, a defense, a weapon. She is smart and she is sexy. She, you could go to the grocery store as a dude and you'd be like walking out and she'd have like one little thing. She'd be like, can you carry this to my car? And you'd be like, okay. <laughs> right? You could be like 100 pounds sopping wet. She'd be like, you're so strong. You'd be like, I am so strong. You know, that's, that, that, that's what she's like. She knows she's sexy. Lemmick knows she's sexy. That's why he marries her. Now, Lemmick's name, his name is not very grandiose at all. His name means pauper, one who is extremely poor. 
Lemek has worked his entire life to make enough money to get away from his namesake. But he can't because the stigma follows him his entire life because of his name. Every time you say his name, you're like, hey, Popper, what's up? You know, it, it just always comes back. Parents, be careful what you name your kids. Don't, don't name your kids Satan or Lucifer or, or Judas. You know, if, if you're... Sorry if your name is Judas. I'm really sorry. Uh, if your last name is Cain, don't name your kid Candy. If your last name is Dover, don't name your kid Ben. Okay. I saw... Boy, you finally got that. Okay. I, I recently saw this thing on Facebook that said, Oh, if my sister gets one million hits, she'll name her kid Megatron. Okay. Facebook is the devil. Don't name your kid Megatron. If your name is Megatron, I'm really sorry. Change your name. All right? Be careful what you name your kids. Lemmick does everything he can in his life to get away from the shame of his name. And he doesn't trust God. He essentially tries to do it his own way, buying his way, his way out by having two wives. And wives can be very expensive. Lemmick can afford two, and not just any two. He affords the most expensive, the most sexual, the most beautiful ones in town. He is a self-made man. He no longer sees the world like a child. He sees distinctions between him and everybody else because he has made it. And we, too, live just like Lemmick. We find ways to cover much of ourselves so life doesn't have to actually touch us. We insulate ourselves from other people. We put on an air that says we have everything all together. Lemmick spends loads of money trying to cover himself, making himself this self-made man, a man who doesn't need God's redemption, a man who doesn't need God's grace because he thinks he can redeem himself and his own name. These things, when they get into us, they are infectious and they are insidious. What Paul says, these things actually turn into us, into the acts of the sinful nature. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, Paul says these are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, where you see yourself as God, and witchcraft, hatred, yes, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Oh, I just want what they have, then I'd have everything. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they do not see the world as God does like children. They do not understand the need for redemption and grace and forgiveness. A couple questions. How have you placed yourself above somebody else by not forgiving or reconciling with somebody? We call this pride. How have you looked down on someone else because they don't agree with you? We call this arrogance. Have you tried to cover your own self so the real you is something that nobody ever has to see? We call this self-loathing. And it's sad that so many of us do not like ourselves and yet we act like we're so much better than everybody else and God simply calls us to live like children. To live like children. Back to Lemmick. Lemmick does what any man would do with two very hot, beautiful wives. He has lots of sex and he makes lots of kids. And then he names his kids. And then he raises his kids and they eventually turn out just like him. Dads, you must model reconciliation, hope, trust in God in front of your kids or they will never, ever get it. Now, one of Lemek's kids actually has a particular kind of gift. In uh, chapter 4, verse 22, it says, Zilla also had his son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Now, there are interesting Jewish legends that surround Tubal-Cain and his bronze and iron working skills. Tubal means metal worker. Cain means smith or fabricator, so he's twice as good at his job. And so one of these legends speaks of him having this unique ability to make weapons that were wondrous and far beyond those of his day. And legend holds that he gave one of these weapons to his daddy, to Lemek. Now Lemek, like us, always in search of more so he can become more important, more removed, more self-sufficient. And you see that Lemek, like, uh, like us, likes power and people to fear and respect him. 
So in Lemmick's day, there is no internet. So when a dude got bored, he can't go online, look for electronic gadgets. He can't do that. Uh, he can't look who's coming to concert, can't download tunes from iTunes. He has to go down to the market. Lemmick likes the market. And so as he, as he starts to go there, he's like, people will see my presence, they'll see how cool I am, me and my new weapon. There's no Facebook to you know, blog about his weapon, so he's got to show everybody. He goes to the market. On some previous occasion at the market, someone much younger than him has belittled Lemmick. He's made Lemmick feel, uh, hurt, hurt his pride in some way. So what does Lemmick do now? As he takes his weapon down, he heads to the market, he's itching for a fight. Now this guy who has belittled Lemmick has no idea how important Lemmick is in his own mind much as people don't know how important we are to ourselves as well. Uh, you know, Lemmick has made great strides not to be this pauper anymore, to gain respect, and so he goes to the market hoping this guy would then show up and try what he tried before. Kind of like when someone says something belittling, belittling to you, and then the next day you're like, oh, I should have said this. Then you keep it in the back of your mind hoping they say it to you again, so you can be like, aha! You throw it back out, that's Lemmick, except it's not words, it's a weapon, which are actually still kind of the same thing. So when Lemmick finds this young guy, a little scuffle breaks out, at which point he removes his weapon and kills the guy on the spot. He is so proud of his kill and his weapon that he goes home and he sings a brand new song to his wife. It's about belittling. It's believed the song at one time was much longer than what's recorded in the text, but Moses cut it down so he didn't give Lemmick more than he deserves. Verse 23 and 24, Lemmick said to his wives, Adon Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lemmick, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Now these words, he's actually making fun of this guy. This is derogatory. He says, this man, my antagonist, is a mere child compared to me in combat. And then Lemmick boasts of no restraint. And here's the missing words. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lemmick 77 times, or 77. Lemmick is proud of his kill, as we are, and we get to outdo somebody else. Lemmick is proud of his perceived invincibility, as we are, and we feel like we can do everything all on our own. And Lemmick believes that he will now get the respect he deserves but the respect he gets only stems from fear. He feels he doesn't need to reconcile with anybody. People need to come and now reconcile with him. Lemmick's failure to reconcile and this pride that has built in his life has further removed him from his humanity and removed him from his own soul, but deeper and more profound, the distance that divides him from his own soul is the distance that now divides him from God. Level four, one more. Years before this, there's a story of Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. Cain becomes jealous of Abel because he thinks that God loves Abel more, so he kills Abel. Well, now you can't love him more because he's not here. Ha, ha, ha. Okay? So in, in 410, God comes and he confronts Cain. He says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. It's like you have dishonored the ground with your brother's blood. Now the ground will fight against you. There's a big debate on what happens next because now Cain responds to God. In verse 13, it says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. There are two views on this. The first one is that Cain is unrepentant and now he's just whining. He's like, oh, it's more than I can bear. What you, I just killed him. What are you doing? Oh, you're so unfair. So he's an unrepentant, whiny man. View two is this, that in Hebrew, the word punishment is the same word used for sin. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's punishment of sin. If Cain says, my sin is more than I can bear, then that just became repentance. God says, you killed your brother. You have run from me. You have lied. And Cain might actually say, I can't believe what I have done. I cannot bear to live with myself or my sin. I am not going to grow old with my brother Abel, the brother I, as an older brother, was supposed to look out for. 
and God would have finally busted through to Cain and he pulls his head out of wherever it was and realizes the first man wasn't, wasn't going to die of old age. He died because his brother killed him. And so God takes Cain and he sends him away to a foreign land. And Cain's afraid to go. He's like, well, what if I go and somebody finds me and somebody kills me like I killed my brother? So God places a mark on Cain that expressed, Cain is under my protection. And God said that if any harm befalls Cain, in verse 15 of Genesis 4, that God are being vengeance seven times over on the person through whom that harm came. God's vengeance is sufficient. God is the one who knows how to bring it. So you go up one level, level three, okay, from there. Lemmick's words tell much about how far his pride has influenced his character. He says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lemmick 77 times. Lemmick in his song is making himself out to be better than the God of Cain, stronger than the God of his family. Lemmick thinks that he has become his own God, just like you and I do when we do not think we need to offer forgiveness and reconciliation to people. Lemmick believes that a wrong committed against him in his own mind is a wrong committed against God or maybe even one greater than God. He has become all he has hoped for in his own mind. Unfortunately, this false sense of self has been at the sacrifice of his own soul. Much as we sacrifice our souls when our lives become all about us and our pain and our own hurt and our inability to forgive because of what it changes us into. It changes us into limic. Go up one more level. This is the picture that Jesus gives Peter when Peter says, how many times do I forgive someone? And essentially Jesus says, you are not God, Peter. That is not your call. You are to forgive always, constantly offering reconciliation because if you don't, you'll end up like Lemek. And Jesus wants us to be like him. You go up one more level. He has made us the ambassadors of that reconciliation. And once we catch Jesus' reference, we understand the contrast that he is actually making. He's saying his followers should be as eager to forgive as Lemek was to take vengeance. And just as Lemek was vowing a punishment that far exceeded the crime, our forgiveness should far exceed the wrongs done to us. And we should be Lemek's polar opposite, making it our goal to forgive as extravagantly and completely as possible. Here's my questions for you. How often do we sin against God? How often do we go our own way? How often do we mock the grace that God has so generously given to us by placing ourselves in the place of God? All the time. And yet Jesus, he comes as a man. He is beaten, denied, betrayed, uh, mocked, crucified. If anyone has a right to say, that's it, it's enough, you're all toast, I'm going to scorch you now, it's Jesus. But he doesn't. Even on the cross, Luke 23, 34, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. Jesus comes as our substitute for our sin, but he also comes as our example. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Only people imitating God, following his example, can ever hope to live this way. Only a people who have bowed their lives to Christ and been redeemed and have the strength of God flowing in and through them will ever hope to live this way. And when we do live this way, Jesus brings life to us and then he brings life to those around us through us being his ambassadors of that reconciliation. You are called to be an imitator of God, to offer forgiveness and reconciliation like God. And it will transform everybody you come into contact with. This is one of the reasons that we bring you guys to communion every single week where you break that cracker. It represents Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip in the wine of the grape juice. It represents his blood that was shed for you and I because he died to bring reconciliation. 
so that we now can be ambassadors of this reconciliation and live the life he calls us to live. Because you will never be free when you hold anger and hatred towards someone else in your heart all the time. God wants you to be free. Throughout the entire Old Testament, the purpose of freedom was always for the purpose of worship. And if you're always holding something in your heart, you will never be free to worship. And God wants you to live as free people. Forgiveness and reconciliation. We will worship God through communion, worship God through song. The band's going to come up. They'll do a couple songs. And as they do these, if, if you know that you have something in your heart against somebody else, maybe you know somebody has something against you, and they're here, talk to them. Talk to them. If they're not here, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. You can pray with them and hopefully get a little course set so that you can go and maybe seek out this person and try and make some things right. Because it is who God calls us to be. It is how He calls us to live. We worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and in the very back. And we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. So we give that opportunity every week. You can actually even give online if you want to. Because we're, we're so hip like that. Yeah. Uh, also in the back there's some food. Uh, you, can, you can eat some food, get some coffee. But we do encourage all of you guys to come to the baptisms. We, we're encouraged in Scripture to be a people who live in gospel community, to live with other believers. And I guarantee you, at some point, someone is going to tick you off. Awesome. You get to practice forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, except for me, because I will never irritate you, because I'm normal and you're all weird. So I'm just kidding. We're, we're supposed to live as God calls us to live. Forgiveness, reconciliation, being imitators of God. Go and live that way. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as a people ask that we would fully understand your forgiveness and grace in seeking us out as your people. That we would understand the depths that you went through coming as a man and living and dying and rising from the dead to redeem and save your people. And that in understanding the depths of your grace, we would then be a people who offer true grace to those around us that we let go of the things we're holding against other people in our hearts and that we would honor you not just with our lips and not just with our actions but with our minds and our hearts as well. God, there are deep place in a, places in us that nobody ever sees except for you and, and ourselves. And it is those places that this morning I ask you to come in and begin to deal with because out of those places flow everything that we do. And that we would then be a people who live in the grace of gospel community. Loving the world around us as you love it. Being your ambassadors of reconciliation. And calling people home. God, have us show who you are by all that we do. Amen.